Thank you. Happy Father's Day. <laughs> Happy Father's Day. <laughs> I hope you uh, take some time to honor the men in your life today. Um, in the children's wing, the children are going to be learning about honoring their fathers and caregivers. Um, I think they're going to come back with a little present for their dads. And in here, does anyone still need this? You guys mess me up when you leave notes on my hand. I got enough paper to deal with up here. Um, no, I'm just, I'm just teasing. Uh, but in here we're going to be talking about how to hear from our Heavenly Father. And actually take some time at the end of the service to do that. So this summer we're studying the book of James. We started two weeks ago with an introduction to the book. And the person of James, the author, the half-brother of Jesus. It's a fascinating character study there. Last week, we covered the first few verses in which James, he writes this. I think we have a slide for that. Here we go. James chapter 1, verse 2, he says, Consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials of many kinds, because you know that the testing of your faith produces perseverance. Let perseverance finish its work so that you may mature and complete and not lacking in anything. And so we talked about the fact that James, like Jesus, assumed that you will have trials in this world, which begs the question, why does God allow those hardships? And we wrestled with that question last week. We also rushed, wrestled with why he says to consider it pure joy. That that doesn't mean that we're supposed to like paint a fake happy face on and pretend like trials don't hurt. Amen. Rather, James was saying that we, we need to imitate Jesus Christ. In Hebrews it says that Jesus, for the joy set before him, endured the cross. But because Jesus had faith in God, that God the Father would raise him from the dead, that he had faith that, <clears throat> I'm sorry, that God would use his trial to raise you and I from the dead to eternal life. It was for that joy that Jesus endured the cross. And that is the attitude that we are to take as we go through trials. Last week we also talked about how God uses our trials. That people who never have gone through anything hard, they're, you know, they're kind of naive, a little foolish, unsympathetic. Right? That God uses trials to build compassion and wisdom in us. And James assumes we're going to need wisdom to get through these trials. Because this is what he writes next. James 1.5. He says, if any of you lacks wisdom, you should ask God. Who gives how? Generously. Generously to only a few people? To who? To all, without finding fault in them, without judging them based on what you did last. Did you listen to him last time? <laughs> he doesn't judge. He gives generously to all without finding fault. And it will be what? It will be given to you. That's a huge promise. That's a huge promise. There's a but. <laughs> but when you ask... You must believe and not doubt. 
Because the one who doubts is like the waves of the sea blown and tossed by the wind. That person should not expect to receive anything from the Lord. For he is double-minded and unstable in all he does. Guys, this is one of the best promises in scripture. That our Heavenly Father will give us wisdom no matter what. I don't know what your biological father was or is like. I don't know if he was good. I don't know if he was wise. But your Heavenly Father is good. And he loves you. And he's wise. And so he wants what's best for you. And so he will freely tell you what that is if you ask. And he's not like, well, you know what? You didn't listen to me. You've been messing around, so just forget you. He doesn't do that. He will freely give the wisdom to those who ask. The only hitch is you have to believe him when he speaks to you. So how do we ask God for wisdom? And how do we know when he answers us? And it's not just our own crazy thoughts in our mind. That's the kicker, huh? Some preachers will say the only way to know the will of God, God's wisdom for your life, is to read and study this. God's word recorded in the Holy Scriptures. And this is the primary way that God does speak to us. And some will say it's the only way that he speaks to us. The problem is, that's not what the Bible says. In the Bible, over and over again, we see God speaking to people in a still, small voice. We see God giving people visions, dreams, sending messengers to people. We see God speaking to people in all kinds of ways. He speaks to little children who are too young to have studied this. He speaks to people who didn't even have access to the Holy Scriptures. And he still does that. Missionaries talk about it. They go to tribes and stuff. And there's people and they're at, say, they're asking about God because they had visions about Jesus and things. So it's, it's not the only way to hear from the Lord. In a moment, I'll teach you, um, what I know about how to hear God's voice speaking to you. Um, It's not like a big, booming, audible voice. It's more like quiet little thoughts in your mind. And I'll teach you what I know from my experience about how to discern that from your own thoughts. But first I have to deal with the fact that, you know, some people will think, well, if all I have to do is ask God for wisdom and close my eyes and listen, then I don't really need to bother with this. All right, remember there's but. My friends, if you do not value and you doubt, you doubt the value of God's written word that has guided and comforted and instructed Christians for over 2,000 years, you are going to doubt the value of those quiet little thoughts in your head. That God speaks to you. This is way more concrete. 
This you can see, you can read it. You can hear testimonies throughout history of Christians learning from this. This is way more concrete than those still small thoughts that God speaks to us. If you can brush this aside and say, I don't know, I don't have time to study this, I, I don't know if it really applies to me. That is exactly how you will respond when God speaks to you. You'll think, oh, what was that weird thought? That's strange. That doesn't apply. And you will brush off the word of God spoken to you just as easily as you brush off this. So you have to decide. Am I going to be a person who believes and values and listens to the word of God or not? Do you need me to... Oh, there we go. Thank you. Um, Even if you didn't value God's word yesterday or five minutes ago, if you choose from this point on, I'm going to listen. He'll start speaking to you through his written word and through spoken word. So today I'm going to teach you about hearing that still small voice of God speaking to you. I actually already preached on this here when I was pulpit supply, (laughs) before I was even interim. On May 1st of last year, and um, there's more on the subject than I can cover, so I'm not going to repeat what I preached on May 1st. So if you want a more complete information about this subject, about how to discern God speaking to you and listening to the Holy Spirit. Listen to the message uh, from May 1st, 2022 on our website. That's caringcommunity.church. Just click on the messages button and you'll have to scroll through until you get to last May. But you can listen to that message and listen to this message and you'll have a more complete picture on how to discern the voice of the Holy Spirit listening to you. All right. This is the word of God. It is a word of life. So let's open it together. We're going to turn to 1 Kings 19. That's page 306 in the blue Bibles that are in the baskets. 1 Kings 19, page 306. This is a story of someone who was in a trial and needed to hear God speaking to him. That person was Elijah. I'll give you a little background while you're flipping. So you know how he found himself in the problem he was in. At that time, um, Ahab and Jezebel were the kings, king and queen of Israel. Quite easily the most wicked king and queen Israel ever had. Jezebel loved to worship Baal. And she was killing off the prophets of God. Um, and so Elijah, um, he was one of the prophets of God and he actually challenged Jezebel's prophets of Baal to a showdown to prove who 
this God was a true God. And while he's on this, his way to this showdown, he's met by a guy named Obadiah. Now, Obadiah was the palace administrator for Ahab and Jezebel. And he tells Elijah that he's basically running an underground railroad right under Ahab and Jezebel's noses. He is hiding God's prophets in caves and giving them food and water. And every time, it's just like this tiny little paragraph, but every time I read that in scripture, I'm like, man, when I grow up, I want to be like Obadiah. (laughs) He was so courageous. And so Elijah gets that message right before he meets Ahab and goes to this showdown. And all Israel has gathered for the showdown, and the rules of it are quite simple. Whosoever God rains down fire from heaven wins. And so the prophets of Baal, they start, um, and they cry out to Baal, and they dance, and they sing, and nobody answers, nobody listens. And they keep going, and they start cutting themselves with swords. That was part of their worship. It gets into the late afternoon. Nobody answers. Nobody listens. And so finally it's Elijah's turn. And he doesn't have to cry out and pray all day long. He just prays a few couple sentences. This is what he prays. This is from the chapter we're before where we're going to pick up today. At the time of the sacrifice, the prophet Elijah stepped forward and prayed. Lord, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Israel. You should just know, just, just pause right there. Your heavenly father, the name he chooses to give himself, is to be known as the God of his children. Do you see how personal that is? He didn't want to be known as the God of the sun or the God of the universe. No, call me the God of Abraham. Call me the God of Isaac. He is a personal God who wants a relationship with you. That's how he wants to be known. Lord, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Israel, let it be known today that you are God in Israel. That, and that I am your servant who has done all these things at your command. Answer me, Lord. Answer me so these people will know that you, Lord, are God. And that you are turning their hearts back again. And then, do we have, there we go. And then the fire of the Lord fell and burned up the sacrifice, the wood, the stones, and the soil, and also licked up the water in the trench. It was just like, boom, instant answer, legendary victory. You know, it was awesome. It was a great day. Next day, not so great. Next day, not so great. And that's where we pick up today. First Kings 19, verse 1. Now Ahab told Jezebel everything Elijah had done and how he had killed all the prophets with the sword. Basically, all the people started saying, the Lord is God, the Lord is God. And then they killed off these prophets who had led them astray. So Jezebel sent a messenger to Elijah to say, may the gods deal with me, be it ever so severely. If by this time tomorrow, I do not make your life like one of them. Elijah was afraid, and he ran for his life. 
When he came to Beersheba in Judah, he left a servant there. Well, he himself went a day's journey into the wilderness. He came to a broom brush, sat down under it, and prayed that he might die. I've had enough, Lord, he said. Take my life. I'm no better than my ancestors. He met all the other prophets that had come before him and failed to turn the people of Israel back to their Lord. Then he lay down under the brush and fell asleep. All at once, an angel touched him and said, get up and eat. He looked around and there by his head was some bread baked over hot coals and a jar of water. He ate and drank and lay down again. The angel of the Lord came back a second time and touched him and said, get up and eat. For the journey is too much for you. So he got up and ate and drank. Strengthened by the food, he traveled 40 days and 40 nights until he reached Horeb, the mountain of God. And there he went into a cave and spent the night. And the word of the Lord came to him. What are you doing here, Elijah? We'll keep reading, but I just want to point out the first two steps that Elijah takes to hear from the Lord. And the first one is to get away from the crisis situation. Whatever that environment is that you need wisdom about, it's very hard to discern God speaking to you when you're in the midst of it. And you need to get to a quiet place where you can listen to him. And by quiet, I don't mean just silent. I mean a place where your soul can be quiet. Even for me, like, um, if my kids are gone at school, my home can be very quiet. But if there's a pile of dishes on the counter, you know? So you have to find a place. Eric's probably laughing because... um, Friday night, I sat in the car to finish writing the sermon. In the garage. In the garage. (laughs) Yeah. Find that quiet place where you can be still. All right? If, If you're in a discussion and it's starting to heat up towards an argument, you say, you know what? I care about you. I just need some space to talk to God. And I promise we'll, we'll discuss this. And you give them a time. You let them know. Don't just leave them hanging. You go to another room. You take a walk. If it's a relationship, just overall, not sure what I should do about this relationship, spend some time away from the person. Pray. Talk to God about it. If it's a job situation, take some vacation days. Do you realize, like, during COVID, how many people... Realized that they hated their jobs and that it was not the style of life that they really wanted and they thought was healthy for them. Sometimes you just need some time out of that environment. So that's the first thing is to get away from the environment that you need wisdom about and find a place where your soul can be quiet and still before the Lord. The second step is to take care of your body. Crisis exhausts us. Hardship exhausts us emotionally, it exhausts us physically, and it exhausts us spiritually. It takes faith 
strength to go through a crisis. And your faith is like a muscle. It can only handle so much at a time. And just like your physical muscles get weak, your faith muscles get weak. And you need time away. And you need to refresh your whole body. Elijah had to rest. He had to eat. He exercised. I don't know if you got that, but he he definitely took some time to exercise in this passage too. He took care of his physical body and all of that helped him prepare to hear from the Lord. Verse 9. There he went into a cave and spent the night. And the word of the Lord came to him. What are you doing here, Elijah? He replied, I have been very zealous for the Lord Almighty. The Israelites have rejected your covenant, torn down your altars, and put your prophets to death with the sword. I am the only one left, and now they are trying to kill me too. Is he the only one left? No, No, he's not. What message had God already sent him? Remember Obadiah running the Underground Railroad? Yeah. When we're we're going through a trial, a crisis, our perception is warped by our emotions. When we are going through a trial or a crisis, our perception of reality is warped by our emotions. Okay? And that was true for Elijah. He felt like he was the only one left. And he probably felt like, and it's not like that emotion wasn't at all based on reality. He is the only prophet that is standing up and fighting a good fight. The rest of them are hiding, right? But he's not the only one. I mean, in many ways, Obadiah is fighting too. Yeah. The Lord said to him, I'm in verse 11 now. The Lord said to him, go out and stand on the mountain in the presence of the Lord, for the Lord is about to pass by. Then it, like, doesn't, isn't that like a great lead, like, for the Lord is about to pass by, and you're like, ooh, like I'm ready for it, right? Like, this is going to be a great show. There, then a great and powerful wind tore the mountains apart and shattered the rocks before the Lord. But the Lord was not in the wind. After the wind was an earthquake. But the Lord was not in the earthquake. After the earthquake came a fire. But the Lord was not in the fire. And after the fire came a gentle whisper. When Elijah heard it, he pulled his cloak over his face and went out and stood at the mouth of the cave. Then the voice said to him, What are you doing here, Elijah? That question was very purposeful. Elijah went to Mount Horeb, the place where God had met Moses and gave him the Ten Commandments. The place where God made his covenant with the people of Israel that he would be their God and they would be his people. That's where Elijah traveled 40 days and 40 nights to get to. 
And God is saying, why did you come here? God's question implies that we don't have to go to the most holy and sacred place we can think of to meet with God. We don't have to go to the church or to that river where we were baptized or or this one place in history where God showed up. No, God can meet with us anywhere. He can meet with us anywhere. And so God says, what are you doing here, Elijah? Verse 14, Elijah repeats himself. He says, I have been very zealous for the Lord God Almighty. The Israelites have rejected your covenant, torn down your altars, and put your prophets to death with a sword. I am the only one left, and now they are trying to kill me too. The Lord said to him, go back the way you came, and go to the desert of Damascus. When you get there, anoint Hazel, king over Aram. Also anoint Jehu, son of Nishmi, king over Israel. And anoint Elijah, son of Sephat, from Abel, I don't even know, I'm guessing here how to pronounce these things, to succeed you as prophet. Jehu will put to death any who escaped the sword of Hazel, and Elisha will put to death any who escaped the sword of Jehu. Yet I reserve 7,000 in Israel, all whose knees who have not bowed down to Baal, and whose mouths have not kissed him. I love how God gives Elijah hope. He gives him hope, first of all, because he says, Elijah, you're not done yet. i got a few more things for you. You're going to anoint the new king of Israel. Ahab and Jezebel are not going to keep reigning in terror forever. You're not going to have to battle them forever. The end of their reign is coming and you're going to anoint the next king. He also gives Elijah a partner. Elijah has felt very alone, hasn't he? He keeps saying, I'm the only one left. And God says, go anoint Elisha to be a prophet to succeed you. And Elisha is going to learn from Elijah. They're going to kind of be best buds and Elijah is going to mentor him. And then eventually Elijah will take the, continue the ministry. He also speaks to what Elijah prayed earlier before he even got to the mountain. When he was running and he was under the bush and he said, God, let me die because I'm no better than my ancestors. That sense of despair, like I have given my life to this and it's been completely worthless. I'm no better than any other prophet who came and preached and nobody listened. God spoke to that despair. He says, there's 7,000. There's 7,000 Elijah that haven't worshipped Baal. So your ministry is not in vain. He gives them that purpose and hope. He also lets them know this battle is not going to continue forever. He speaks exactly what Elisha needs. The other thing that we learn from the story of Elisha and how to hear the voice of God, though, is don't expect the dramatic. Don't expect when you go and you ask God for wisdom, like it's going to be like, Ooh, 
like this big thing, right? God wasn't in the wind. He wasn't in the earthquake. He wasn't in the fire. Why? I always say, why? Why did he send those things, but he wasn't in them? I don't know for sure, but I think it's because that's how Elijah had experienced God before. Like he had seen God raise someone from the dead. He had seen God send famine. He had seen God send rain. He had seen God send fire, right? Like he had known God in these big dramatic moments. And I think God wanted Elijah to know, like, look, I'm not only in the big dramatic moments of life, I'm in the still small moments of life too. And so when you seek wisdom from God, don't expect it to be like this huge lightning bolts kind of moment. It's going to be quiet and still. In a moment, um, I'm going to give you time to hear from your Heavenly Father. And um, just to hear whatever... He wants to tell you this morning. So, some thoughts first about what God's voice sounds like. I don't know what God's voice is going to sound like to you. I can only tell you what it sounds like to me. Alright? And I talk more about this in the other message on May 1st. But my thoughts in my head are very fleeting and scattered and all over the place. It's like flight of the butterfly. That you know, like you know, like that's kind of what I sound like in my head. God's voice sounds like a mountain. It's not negative, it's not crushing, but it is solid. It it just has more authority than my thoughts have. And it's usually just a simple word or phrase or sentence. It's nothing complex ever. It's always very simple. But if my thoughts are like, well, what should I do this? Or many, I don't know, what about this? God's like, dun dun. You know, like law and order, dun dun. (laughs) That's kind of, that's what it sounds like. And then my, and I'm like, well, what about dun dun dun. But I can, I can, dun dun. Like, that's what it sounds like. It just has this weight and authority to it that my thoughts don't have. Um, Marilyn Hans, she's um, a wonderful woman of God. In her book, she wrote this. She said, God's voice is a beautiful blend of gentleness and power. He has the ability to speak to the depths of your soul, bringing profound peace and joy. There is always a calm about his voice. Um, a sweetness prevails, even when he's pointing out a wrong. His voice will seek to help you correct your behavior, yet he'll never condemn your worth. His voice tells you specifically what you need to confess. It's not this laundry list of things you need to change. It'll be just like one little thing you need to confess and turn from. His voice will always communicate a love that draws you to him. She contrasts this. The voice of self, our own thoughts in our mind, are recognizable by selfish requests and desires. 
Our own voice is full of self-pity and self-righteousness. We justify ourselves. It wants to gratify fleshly desires. And then she writes about the voice of our enemy. He condemns, is cunning, negative, and critical. He brings up past sins you've already repented of. That's the enemy. God doesn't do that. Satan can make you feel guilty or shameful, and he won't even specifically identify the cause of your feelings. It's just this, you're a loser. You're never going to amount to anything. That kind of stuff is from the enemy. The Spirit of the Lord, on the other hand, hones on an area in your life and shows you a specific way to get rid of the guilt. Um, Whenever I ask God for wisdom, I always follow the same steps, and I just want to share you those steps with you. It's not the only way to do it. It's just what works for me. So the very first thing I do is I quote James 1, 5, and 6 to God. And I do this because that's how the great prayer intercessors of the Old Testament prayed. They would always quote God's word back to him. And they would say, God, you said this. So you better keep your promise. If you don't keep your promise, God, the other nations will, you know, think you're a fruitcake. So they, they would call him out on his promises and expect him to keep them. And God apparently likes that. He apparently likes that we trust his word enough to expect him to keep it. And so I always start just by quoting James 1, 5, and 6. And I say, God, you say if anyone lacks wisdom, that's me, I lack wisdom, that we can come to you and you'll give us generously to us without finding fault. So God, I am counting on you to give me wisdom now. That's how I start. The second thing I do is I surrender my will to God. Um, learn this from Henry Blackaby in Experiencing God. It's a great study. But you have to surrender your own will. Like if I come in with my own agenda, I'm going to hear my own agenda. So I say, God, I, I just surrender my will because I know you know what is best. That's the second thing I do. The third thing I do is I tell God I'm stupid. And I need neon blinking lights. <laughs> I say, God, your word says we must believe and not doubt, but I'm dumb. And, and, and so make it obvious. And as long as you make it obvious to me, I will believe and I'll believe. That's what I say every time. And then um, the next thing that I do is I tell God to silence all distracting thoughts. And that's been a huge one for me. In the beginning, um, I wouldn't do that when I first started practicing this. Which is, this is a spiritual discipline. It's called um, spiritual direction. Christians have been practicing it for centuries. It's nothing new. Um, but when I first started practicing it, I wouldn't pray that way. And there would be all these thoughts in my head. And it would be hard for me to figure out, like, is that me? Is that God? Is that, you know? And so then I started praying, God, just silence, you know, the distracting voices from the enemy, from my past, from, you know, just everything that's distracting God, just silence it. And that really helped. And and then there was one day, I was like, okay, this is working. And so I was like, God, yes, just 
just silence all voices, even my own. God, just let me hear your voice. And that time I prayed, and it was just like this bombardment of thoughts. And I didn't even have time to process. And I'm just like, and I'm like, what the, I, what, I, like, I, I couldn't even respond to it. And I'm like, what was that? And I went to my spiritual mentor, and I'm like, I don't know, I just, like, had this prayer experience with God, and, like, he said all these things, but I couldn't even, like, take it in. Because I didn't even have any time to ask a question about it or nothing. And she goes, well, well, did you ask God why it was that way? And I'm like, no. <laughs> and she's like, well, why don't you ask him? I'm like, okay. And so I said, God, why, why did you not even give me time to, to speak and reflect? And he said, well, you told me to silence all the thoughts, including yours. And I was just like... I could just kind of sense him chuckling, you know? <laughs> and I thought, oh, he really does listen to everything I say. And he really is powerful enough to silence our thoughts and control what's going on inside our brains. And so from that point forward, I just said, God, silence all distracting thoughts. That's how I pray now. Just all distracting thoughts. And that way, the thoughts that I think I know are part of this conversation. Um, so I quote James 1, 5 through 6. I surrender my will. I tell God I'm dumb and I need him to make it obvious. I ask him to silence all distracting thoughts. And then I say, let me think your thoughts after you. Amen. That's, that's what I do every single time. And then I just close my eyes and I wait. And the first thought that pops into my mind, I always think is stupid. <laughs> like, I doubt it every single time. I'm like, what? No, that's just like it. And then I recheck myself. And I'm like, I'm supposed to believe and not doubt. And I'm like, okay, God, was that thought from you? And then it comes into focus. Every time. Um, there was once... I was practicing this with my daughter, Mikhail. She was very young. She was like five or six. And she had a problem, and we didn't know what to do about it. And so I said, let's ask God. And, and we went through those steps and were silent and prayed. And then she opens her eyes, and she says, God tells me I'm supposed to watch Veggie Tales." <laughs> and I'm like, well, that was a waste of time. <laughs> but then I thought, oh, you're supposed to believe in that doubt, right? And so I'm like, okay, go watch VeggieTales. And so she goes and, you know, she's watching her VeggieTales. And I'm in the kitchen unloading the dishwasher. And I'll never forget, she like, the video stopped. And she goes, Mom! And I come out of the kitchen. And she, you know, she's only like this big. And she's holding that remote. And she's like, Mom, this is what God wanted me to hear. And her eyes, like, she was so excited. And she played this little clip. And that, that was it. That was what she needed to hear from God. And I've been doing this for years, and every single time, like the first thing that pops in my mind, I still doubt it. It's still like, ah, no, but then it's like, no, ugh. I make myself latch onto it. Sometimes it's just a feeling. Um, sometimes it's a word or a phrase. Sometimes it's a picture. The picture is never clear in the beginning. It's, it's kind of like if you stare at clouds long enough, you begin to see something. You know what I mean? 
That's what it's like. Um, I was doing this the other day, and I, and I was like, I'm like, what is that? Is that a shoe? I'm like, oh, that's stupid. Why would God show me a shoe? You know? I'm like, oh, no. Okay, God, is this shoe from you? You know, it's kind of, and then it comes into focus, and he begins to show me. And I just ask questions about whatever it is. God, what do you want me to know about this? And either the vision kind of zooms in, and I see more detail, or it, like, zooms out, and a, a, there's a picture that begins to show. And I just keep asking questions and it becomes more and more clear. And, and then afterwards I draw it, which m- makes me know it was from God because I can't draw anything. <laughs> but I, I'm able to draw the pictures that he gives me. Um, so that's, that's what it's like. And the only thing is you gotta believe and not doubt. And so I just, I'm going to give you a chance to try this. I'm Mindy, if you'll come up, she's just going to play some music for us, okay? I'm going to give you five minutes. And I'm going to say the prayer I always say. Um, and if you go into it thinking this is never going to work, I'm not going to hear anything, you're not going to hear anything. Because you're already doubting. If you just hear quiet, ask God about the quiet and what he wants you to know about the quiet. Um, But whatever that first thought or picture or feeling that comes into your mind, just latch onto it and don't let go, okay? And ask God questions about it. Father, we just come to you and we thank you that you are not just a creator, that you are not just a God, but you are a father. That you are the father of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and Malachi, and Denise, and Jimmy. That's how you want to be known. And we thank you for the promise that you will give us wisdom when we ask. God, I pray you'll help us now believe and not doubt. God, we surrender our wills to you. You know what it is that we need. You know the direction forward better than we do, so we just surrender our wills to you. And God, we just confess that we're not great at listening to your still small voice. So please just Make it obvious to us. In the name of Jesus, Father, silence all distracting thoughts. Let us think your thoughts after you.
are not deceived. Like the other things that we may see and hear. That you are true.